Step with the gospel. In step with the gospel. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Acts. I mean, Galatians, excuse me. The book of Galatians, chapter 2. Just for the sake of my wife, did y'all smell disinfectant when y'all walked in this mug this morning? She about, like, I thought my eyeballs was going to, like, pop out of sockets. Yeah, had so much of that stuff going around. My eyes are burning and stuff. Oh, Lord have mercy. I do want to thank my wife for working so hard. She did so much. She's going through so much and still yet loves the Lord. And we had a good time doing it. We're just tired. <laughs> it was late day yesterday and uh, got up this morning and just so thankful and ready to be in God's house with you together. There's a lot going on in the world, amen? There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of difficulties, a lot of hate uh, going around. There's enough hate for two worlds, I think, that is happening right now uh, in our country and even around the world. And I prayed and I prayed and I had uh, two other messages that I was back and forth on. And it's like God said, ah, save those for a different time. This is what I want you to do. And so this morning... Uh, we want to look at being in step with the gospel, and we want to look at a particular situation in the scriptures um, where prejudice became an issue. We want to talk about that. It's a tough topic, uh, but the gospel addresses it. Amen? The gospel addresses it, and we know that the gospel is the answer. But I'm going to tell you, it's not as just easy as going out and telling the world and getting on social media saying Jesus is the answer. It sounds like it should be that easy because we believe in Jesus. But some people don't. And I will go as far to say as some people don't believe simply because they have watched the lives of people who said they did and yet did not live up to the vocation worthy of the calling. Or didn't live worthy of the vocation, I guess you should say. And that's unfortunate, but it happens. And I bet you it's happened a time or two in your life and mine as well. I'm sure there's been times that people have seen us at our worst and thought, if that's a Christian, then I must be okay. Unfortunately, we are all sinners saved by grace. right? Unfortunately, we're not perfect. And we will fail or fall from time to time. And this morning, I want to look at someone that we view as one of the super Christians, if you will. One of the look at the life of Peter. And realize that Peter struggled with things just like we do. Matter of fact, sometimes we may, be, we may have issues in our life that we're not even aware of. But if we will listen to the Holy Spirit, it will reveal it to us. And so we're going to look at the life of Peter today in a, in a very specific inc incident uh, and, and what led up to that. But in the middle of that, we also must look at some gospel truths along the way that we will also share. If you have the Custom Church app, uh, if you open it up, you'll find that there's a, a lot of the bullet points are in there, but you're going to find that there's four steps in there that just has a blank, and that's because I want you to write it in there the way you hear it, not take my words. I want you to think about what's being said, think about how you want to word that, and then put that in its line. All right. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 11 through 14. Then we'll pray and then we'll get started. If you would, rise to your feet. 
Boy, that's good, ain't it? Rise to your feet. I like it. We're going to have to get an extra camera, Randy, so we can point down on the crowd. You know that? Right? So, Randy, I'm, I'm, I guarantee is taking notes on what we do for next week, right? Um, we're super excited about the, the, uh, being able to reach more folks, uh, and we just want to do our best with the help that the Lord has given us. Amen. So Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, says this, But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Let's pray. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house with your people. Father, we pray, Lord, that this will be a message of hope, but Lord, be a message that challenges our heart. Uh, Lord, uh, and Lord, if there's something within our heart, we just pray, Lord, today that you will make it known to us. Lord, that we know that there are sometimes things that we've hid in, back in the crevices of our heart. Lord, I know I have. And Lord, I ask you, Lord, for all of us here today, the Lord, just show us. Lord, not only show us, but help us, Lord, to show others. Not condemn others, but show others your love. And that there is a way that, that, that does unite and not divide. Father, we pray this, Lord, in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. So we have here a situation, right? Wasn't there a guy they called the situation? One of them crazy reality shows, there was a guy they called The Situation. Right, I guess he was always steeped in drama or something, I don't know. But we have a situation here where Peter, you know Peter, right? The one that's like, Lord, I, all these other guys will fail, I'll never fail you. Right, that guy? Then he denied, right? Then he, he denied ever having known Jesus, just like Jesus said he would. But then Jesus rose from the dead and said, told him, uh, Mary, and then to, to tell my disciples and tell Peter to meet me in Jerusalem. And then, of course, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached, and over 3,000 gave their hearts to the Lord. I'm going to tell you, for a preacher, that's a good day. Amen. Listen, for a preacher, when one person gives their heart to the Lord, man, you're ready to go out here and do cartwheels, right? Or at least try. But you'll imagine, imagine that day when the Holy Spirit came down. And listen, it came in like a mighty Russian wind. And people were hearing Peter preach in their own language. God, just the, 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 the way his presence was there and the way he sent his spirit in so that there would be no mistaken that this was God. And after all of that, still yet we find Peter still struggling because Peter was human. And listen, we're all human. And we all want to give ourselves a pass. But that's not how Christians should be. Yes, we're all human. But remember when Jesus said this, he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What he was speaking there is, Blessed are we when we mourn, 
over our sin because we'll be comforted knowing that we are covered by the blood of Jesus. It wasn't about mourning when, when someone dies. Yes, we know that God will comfort us in those times, but this mourning that we're talking about, that Jesus was talking about on the Sermon on the Mount, was mourning over sin, mourning over uh, having done something wrong and egregious against a holy, perfect God and sinning against Him. And then when we realize we've sinned against God, it ought to break our hearts, amen? It ought to bother us to the point that we're willing to be driven to our knees and ask God to forgive us. And he says that we shall be comforted. Sometimes, though, the devil will remind us of those sins and we'll go fishing in the sea of forgetfulness. And then I have to go back and remind myself of the forgiving nature of my God and how I've been covered by the blood. Amen. But we know that we're human and that we're going to make mistakes. But we should never be happy about that. And we should never, we should never blame God for it. You ever heard of this one? Well, God made me and I, you know, he made me this way. Well, yeah, he made you that way. He made you, but you're that way. Right? It's kind of like the, the same excuse that Adam gave in the garden, wasn't it? Lord, that woman you gave me. How many still use that one? Tough, why you get so angry all the time? Lord, that woman you gave me. That's not, I, I'm just, for instance, sweetheart, that's an illustration, baby. That's all. Let's see about that. Moving along, nothing to see here. But so often we'll, we'll make excuses and we'll blame God because He made us this way. We were born into sin because man chose to sin. We were made to be perfect and we were made to live eternally in the garden. But man chose to want to be like God instead of just following God. And so now we will have that fight against the flesh. The Bible says the flesh is an enmity against God. It is an enemy. Our flesh wants things that we shouldn't have. Sometimes our flesh doesn't want to do things that we should be doing. And that's why Paul said, oh wretched man am I, who will deliver me from this body of death? He also said, like, like a boxer beats the air, so we must beat the flesh into subjection. I don't know about you, but that's hard to beat yourself into subjection, but you need to. But don't you want to beat somebody else into it? Y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all been to Walmart lately? Boy, that'll make you sin right there if you ain't careful. I went into Walmart yesterday, good night, I reckon. I'll tell you, I had to come out and pray. It was bad. And I just started thinking about that. Lord, I have a problem beating myself into subjection, but uh, there's a couple people I'd like to help them out. There'll be somebody that tunes into YouTube, and that's all they'll hear. They won't listen to the rest of the message, and I'll be in trouble. But here we see Paul and Peter, right? Two, two, uh, two lovers of God. That, have, that, that did so much that's recorded in the Word for us. But here we see Peter at a weak moment. Paul's looking at Peter and how he's acting. He says that, that when Peter was just there with the Gentiles, he was hanging out with them and eating with them and everything was great. But when the Jews from Jerusalem came, it says that he feared the circumcision party. You know what that meant? He's like, he was scared that he would upset the Jewish brothers and sisters. 
out of fear of upsetting them, he withdrew from hanging out with the Gentiles and went over to hang out with the Jews and ostracized those who were Gentiles. Now, you got to realize, Jews, if you look all through the Old Testament, Jews, they know they were the chosen people of God. But they got to understand that the whole, when you look at the Old Testament, the whole premise behind God making them His chosen people was to, so that they may live before everyone else so that they could see the nature of God. God even wrote into his laws about how to treat people, sojourners, right? When they come in, allow them to come in, uh, host them. It says if they want to go worship with you, let them. Why? Because God wanted to use his people to show the rest of the world his love and care. But instead, they, we find the Jews becoming what we may call today as an elitist, thinking that they were better than everyone else. And so we see the Jews go on a roller coaster ride, don't we? We see them getting close to God, but then they start thinking they're better than what they are. And next thing you know, they're mingling with the other people, worshiping false gods. And now God has to take them back to a place where they realize their transgression. And so we see this up and down. Does that sound like your Christian walk? Sounds a lot like mine. But the Jews, always having looked at Gentiles as if they were dogs. Always looking at the Gentiles as if they were less than. But we know that the, the Holy Spirit came and baptized into the Gentiles exactly as He did to the Jews. And we see that happening. And Peter will reference that and we'll look in the Scripture. So we know that the same Spirit that rested upon the Jews rested upon the Gentiles. And the Scriptures tell us, uh, specifically in the writing of Romans, that, listen, Jew, Greek, free or bond, it didn't matter, were all the same in his eyes. But Peter, when he saw the Jewish friends come, those old feelings of being a Jew over just being a child of God started to flare up. And he was worried that if he hung out with the Gentile party, that they would be upset with him. And out of a desire, listen to me, out of a desire to be accepted by man, Peter fell short of the truth of the gospel because he took the acceptance of man and elevated it above the acceptance of God by wanting them to be happy with him instead of being pleasing to God. Has anybody ever had two friends that you loved dearly but did, they hated each other? Anybody ever had that? You ever been in the room with both of them and they're both trying to talk to you and you're trying to back and forth, right? You want to spend time with this one, not upset that one. Then you want to spend time with that one, not upset this one. And listen, I'm going to tell you what, when that happens, I just want to leave the room. Y'all fight it out, do what you got to do, let me know when it's over. I ain't got time for this. But we've all experienced that. We've all loved somebody or loved, you know, two different people or two different groups of people and loved them both dearly and equally, but yet when they come together, they couldn't stand each other and we always felt like we were in the middle. That's where Peter was at. However, Peter, probably just because he had been raised that way, defaulted back to hanging with his Jewish brother. You see, it's, it's, it's a form of prejudice, if you will. Now, I want to tell you that 
Racism is a form of prejudice, but there are other prejudices out there that is not racism. Racism is always a prejudice, but prejudice isn't always racism. Everybody understand what I mean then? Sometimes we are prejudiced simply uh, from a national level. We become nationalists, thinking that we're better because we're Americans than any other country. Listen, we may have freedoms that other countries don't have, but I can tell you this, absolutely, when it comes to being a human being, we're no better or no worse, regardless of where on the globe that we live. But nationalism is also a form of prejudice. To the point that if we are willing to elevate our love for our country above the truth of the gospel, then we're wrong. There are many forms of prejudice. Some people are prejudiced against fat people. If you don't think so, get on an airplane looking like this one time. You see the look. When you walk past each, sometimes I like to just, when I see somebody in disgust, hoping that I'm not sitting in their row. I know what I'm talking about. All right, there's no other fat people here, so just trust me on this one. Or maybe you're skinny, you've been in a plane, and maybe I'm striking a nerve. I'm, I'm good either way. I keep moving around and see if Randy can catch up with me. You get on a plane when you're this size? Listen, when I get on a plane and I start seeing them disgusting looks like there'll be two people and hoping I'm not the third, they're like, sometimes I'll just pause by there and be like, oh, I'm sorry, wrong one. And they'll be like, Whew. I may or may not have actually sat beside someone that I wasn't supposed to sit beside and then later figured it out. I don't know. It may have happened. Just saying for a friend, right? Some people, some people look at fat people and are like, that person has no self-control. Listen, I got control. I can hold that potato chicken bag steadier than anybody. I can eat them in the dark. I can eat them while driving. I can eat while riding a motorcycle. I got control. Amen. And to be quite honest with you, we probably all got some level of prejudice. We all probably have something in our heart that when we see a situation or a scenario, we automatically think the worst. We automatically get to that place in our heart where we have bitterness. I remember, I'll just be honest with you, I remember after 9-11. You remember that? I remember flying after 9-11. I remember flying after 9-11 and we got searched. You see, when we would fly, the four of us, we'd fly... One of us had a different last name, and that was an automatic. And I'll be honest with you, and I'm not saying it was right. I'm tell, matter of fact, I'm telling you this is absolutely wrong according to the gospel. But I would look at us having our stuff searched. Anybody ever pray they don't open the one with the underwear in it? Y'all know what I'm talking about? Right? You just hope they don't open the suitcase, got the underwear in it. Because oh. you just don't want to see your undergutchies hanging out for everybody. You know what I mean? It's like... Right, so I remember us being searched right there. They searched our stuff. And then when we got the gate, we got searched again. And then there were other people that, that looked more like the people who did the flying into the buildings, if you will. And they went right on through and nobody questioned anything. 
I remember being upset about that. I'm not saying it's right. But I'm just being truthful, so hopefully that you will do the same. But here Paul says that they stood condemned. Why? Not because Paul condemned them. They stood condemned when they measured, when, when Peter's actions were weighed against the gospel. It wasn't a matter that Paul condemned Peter. It was that Peter was already condemned because when you weigh him, his actions against the truth of the gospel, it didn't weigh out. He didn't act appropriately. And when we, when we somehow, when we force someone out or ostracize someone for any reason, we're doing the same thing. And, and listen, we have to decide today if we're going to be followers of Christ and if I want to be in step with the gospel because that's what Paul said. Paul said Peter stood condemned. Matter of fact, he ended up getting everybody else roped in the deal because when Peter did it, everybody else noticed what Peter was doing. And he even said that Barnabas got wrapped up in this deal and started doing the same thing. Peter said their, I mean, Paul said their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about a couple truths, just, and I'm going to go through them real quick. Matter of fact, I'm not even going to have to put the scriptures on the screen because I'm going to go through them that fast. We had a talk yesterday, and they told me I go too fast sometimes. So listen, I'm already in second gear. I'm going to shift the third and run through these. And they're on the Custom Church app if you want them. We'll have this on the podcast. I want to go over some truths of the gospel just to remind us about them. And it's not an exhaustive list. I'm not going to go everything. But I want to bring out a few key elements of the gospel. And then I want to look at what happened to Peter. Because if we go back to the beginning about how Peter and how God dealt with him on this issue, I believe we'll find the necessary steps we need to take as the church to make sure our hearts are right before God and to make sure that we can make a difference in this world. I know there's a lot of talk there's a, a, going on and you hear a lot of stuff um, going Black Lives Matter and all that. And then you hear people say, well, all lives matter. Listen, all lives do. They do matter. But listen, I think the church has failed in many ways when it comes to the issue of racism. What they're not saying is, is we're not, they're, they're not saying that, that, that black lives are better than all lives. What they're saying is, is that they've been treated in such a way, not only by people, but by the institution of our government. Could you imagine what it's to be like that? Did you know that from like 1938, I mean, it was in 1938 to 1964 or whatever, I forget what it was, when they enacted the Urban Housing Act and all that stuff and they came up with that department, do you realize that 98% of all home loans were given to white people? If you don't believe me, go look up redlining. I could tell you case after case that I've studied and looked at. I'm not going to do that, but I just want your mind to get wrapped around and understand what's really happening because the church has played a part in it. If you've ever heard and studied great preachers, you'll hear the name of Dwight Moody. But when Dwight Moody traveled down south, he allowed the local people to segregate the congregation. 
Now, when Billy Graham went and preached down south at the urging of Dr. Martin Luther King, they talked about this, and he said, you have to understand of what you're going to do to the message of the gospel when they receive it if you allow them to be segregated and think that because of the color of their skin, they're less than, so they should have to sit further back and away from. If the gospel is going to go forward, the gospel's got to go forward as it is in the scripture where it says that we have all sinned and gone astray, and listen, that we all deserve hell, and Jesus died for all, and for whosoever will, if the gospel is going to go forth, if you want it to go forth in truth as God has written it, then we must demand that regardless of color or race, that they are able to sit anywhere they want to sit. And so Dr. Billy Graham refused to preach unless the congregation was non-segregated. But just 50 years before him, a great preacher that many hold in the highest regard allowed segregation without putting up a fight. Tell me the church hasn't failed. Because Martin Luther King says this, it's, he will not remember the voices of his enemies, but the silence of his friends. You see, it's maybe not that any of us have acted out of prejudice toward anybody else. It may be just simply that we stood silent and allowed others to do it. You see, if there should be any activist, it should be the Christ follower. If there's anyone that should speak out on behalf of those who've been disenfranchised, it is us, followers of Christ. Remember what Jesus said? Unless you feed the poor and clothe the naked and visit the imprisoned, unless you do these things, then, then you're not mine. Jesus is saying that we need to stand up for those who don't have a voice. Stand up for those whose voice isn't being heard. Matter of fact, even kids were looked at back in those days as less than. And also women. And if you look at what Jesus did, what did he say about the children? Unless you come to me like them, you can't have no part of me. Let those children come in. They tried to block them out. Women were not allowed to testify in court. Also, people who were of a low stature, such as shepherds, were not allowed. But yet, who do we see as witnesses to the empty tomb? Women. Who heralded the, the beautiful story that Christ had come? The shepherds. The gospel is full of activism because God made sure of it because no one is better than another in his eyes. So let's give me, let me give you some gospel truths here. First off, we're all sinners. I already told you that. Romans 3, 23, right? For all sin to fall short of the glory of God. Another gospel truth, God's love and sacrifice was for all with no distinction. John 3, 16, God loves to love the world that he gave his only begotten son. The whosoever, whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We know that the gospel message went out not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. Those people who the Jews thought were dogs. Jesus Christ came to die for all. In Galatians chapter 3, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. But God, another gospel truth, Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. 
He's the way, the truth, and the life. John is John 14. We know that verse. I preached on it not too long ago. He is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father except through Him. There is no other way. By the way, I want to also tell you that, listen, we look upon certain people and we think that because they, they have suffered hardship in their lives or whatever, but listen, and then they become bitter against God. Well, God understands they, they experience hardship. Listen, everybody experiences hardship to some kind of degree. Just because you experience hardship, just because you're poor, just because you're disenfranchised doesn't mean that then you're automatically going to go to heaven. Listen, it is through Jesus Christ. The gospel demands repentance. It demands it. It's not, a, it's not something that we should think about. When we think about it, we talk about accepting Christ in our heart. Listen, we're, accept, we're accepted into Christ. Amen? We've got it backwards. We've got our heart as if it's the central theme of the gospel. we got our heart as if it's a, what everything else revolves around. Listen, it doesn't revolve around us. It revolves around Him. Jesus Christ is the sinner. Amen? And He said, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32, it says, And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have come not to call the righteous, but, to, but sinners to repentance. Luke 13 Verses 1 through 3, there were some present at that very time who told about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled in their sacrifices. And he answered them, do you think that these Galileans are worse sinners than the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repentance, folks, repentance. Turning away from who we are, turning away from us being the center. It's not about us accepting God into our lives and making a little room for Him here and there to make ourselves feel better about ourselves. But it's about us being accepted into the family of God. He said that we're joint heirs, which is we're grafted into the family. Realize that the Israelites were, were His chosen people. And Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. And the Bible says then in Galatians that we are grafted into that family. Just as a vineman, uh, the husbandman of the vine would go and, and, and make a slice into that vine and put in that, next, that branch and wrap it up and care for it. And then that branch would take hold. You and I are grafted in to the vine, which is Jesus Christ. We become his family. We become his children. And while children may run a lot of homes these days, we don't run his. Amen? We seem to have it backwards. The American gospel is all about what God can give you and make your life better because it's about you. You believe what you can, you know, you believe on something, you can do it. Listen, not if it's against God's will. You can keep on trying, my friends, but if it's against God's will, you're not going to accomplish it. I don't care how many times you quote a scripture. And by the way, Satan quoted scripture. So let's not get too holy just because someone says a scripture or two. Let us look at the whole. There are a lot of people out here spewing a lot of things. And they'll use the term Jesus. They'll use the term anointing and these kind of words that we're used to hearing. But listen, if the conduct doesn't match it, there are a lot of people out here using the gospel to make themselves rich. 
A lot of people out here are using the gospel to do things for themselves instead of trying to reach others for Christ. By the way, the gospel demands, on that note, the gospel demands that God be Lord of our life. In Romans 9, 10, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Paul Washer did a great uh, job of actually explaining uh, this verse in, in Romans 10. We, we hear this all the time, right? If you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth, right? So if you believe that God is real and, and you call him Lord, listen, I want you to know that this scripture was not about saying something in front of the church, is what Paul Washer says. It's not about you saying a little prayer and then we march up in front of the church and tell everybody you accepted Jesus now everything's fine and you can go out and live like hell. That's not what it's about. This, this is about a confession. Now think about it when you've heard the word confession before. This is, this is not just about saying words. This is about a life that is fully devoted to and that your life confesses. And so in other words, it's not about just what I say. Matter of fact, if I wasn't able to verbalize another word and live mute for the rest of my life, my life still should confess Jesus is Lord. Amen? It's not just about saying a few words. It's about, listen, first off, repentance is about turning around 180 degrees. That's what repentance is. Turning away from me wanting to be God. It goes all the way back to the garden. Right? What is Satan tempt Eve with? God doesn't want you to eat from the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because if you do so, you'll be like God. He doesn't want you to be like him. But she couldn't resist, nor could Adam. And ever since then, we've been trying to do the same thing, trying to be like God. There are some people that he will even teach you that when you become the child of God, now you become a little G God, and then you can also speak things into existence as well. I want you to know that is absolute baloney. I, 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 think, of the, I think of Sheldon. Y'all know who Sheldon Cooper is on a Big Bang Theory? He uses the word poppycock. You ever heard that's an old southern term for baloney or horse hockey or anything else that you can put in there? I'm trying to be careful here, by the way. Listen, the only one that has the power to speak anything into existence is God himself. And when we tried to do that, and it doesn't come to pass, oh, you, you, listen, we're going to tread a little deeper here. You with me? If we, if we speak something in the name of Jesus, something is going to happen, and we claim to something, and it doesn't happen, guess what we just became? False prophet. The way it is. The gospel demands that God be Lord to us. What he wants. Instead of me demanding from God that he do something, other people will teach that. If Listen, if you do it in Jesus' name, then he has to do it. God ain't got to do nothing. Why? Because he is God and we are not. We don't have the power, we don't have the authority, and we don't have the right to demand anything from God. Matter of fact, we deserve hell, amen? Romans 6, 23, for, all have, uh, uh, for the wages of sin is death. We deserve death. We deserve hell. 
I can't make God do anything, nor should I ever want to make it. Matter of fact, when I get the right perspective about the glory of God, when I get the right perspective that He is the center of the story, when I get the right perspective that it is He who loved me and not the other way around, that He gave His Son for me, when I see myself for who I really am instead of who I want myself to be, amen, when I see myself for, for truly who I am and, and the center that I am, then I realize how loving God is, and instead of wanting me to command him to do something, I want to fall at his feet and beg him to let me do something for him. You see, that's the difference of somebody who truly wants God as Lord in your life. It'll go from me wanting God to do something to asking God to let me do something for him. God, if you never give me another good thing in this world, it's still worth serving you. You're willing to use me in a way I give myself to you. That should be the prayer of the Christ follower. The gospel demands that he be Lord of our life. The gospel demands that we love and forgive one another as we have been loved and forgiven by God. Well, this is a tough one, isn't it? You know, when Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors, then he goes on to say, in verse 14 of chapter 6, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You remember Jesus actually told the story about the, about the guy that owed 100 denarii or whatever. He owed what would be today millions of dollars. He owed it. And he went and begged the master to forgive him. And the master forgave all of his debt. And then he went to a guy who owned him a few, owed him a few bucks and started to choke him out and had him thrown in jail until he could pay the money. Been forgiven of millions of dollars, but yet want to hold somebody else and choke him out and put him in jail over a few dollars. We see how awful that is, right? We see just, it's just how absurd that sounds, but yet when we don't forgive others, that's exactly what we're doing. God has forgiven us of so much. How can we dare not forgive someone else? The gospel demands that we love our neighbor as ourself. Matter of fact, there was a lawyer that tried to put Jesus to the test. Found in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 29. Again, this is in your notes. He says, Behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? Have you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength, and all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But look at the next verse. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now think about that. So this guy quoted the law, love Lord God, go to heart, mind, soul, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, good, you got it. Now Jesus knew he didn't have it, because he was Jesus. The lawyer wanting to justify himself says, but who's our neighbor? Well, you know what came next? Jesus told him the story about the Good Samaritan. 
The reason Jesus told them about the Good Samaritan because guess how the Jews felt about Samaritans? They thought they were dogs also. They thought that Samaritans were terrible. Matter of fact, the Jews hated them so much that they would walk around Samaria to not go through it. They didn't have automobiles back then. It wasn't like getting on the 340 bypass, by the way. Right? Yeah, everybody wants to go around Charlestown. Nobody wants to go through it. But, we, but imagine this. Let's say that you were walking, right? My uncle used to call it working for Pat and Turner, right? Pat your foot and turn the corner. I don't know what, he always laughed about it. I still don't think it's that funny, but, right? So, right, I call it the Shoe Leather Express. Imagine you're taking the Shoe Leather Express and you're walking from Harpers Ferry to Middleway and you get to Charlestown. I don't like them Charlestown people. I'm going to go around. I'm going to go get on the bypass and walk all the way past Bardane, all the way down to Lee Town Pike, and then hang a left and walk all the way back out to 51, hang a right at Harding Station, and then get the rest of the way here. I don't think Charles sounds that bad to you. I'm not walking that far out of my way. I bet you you wouldn't walk that far. I don't even drive that far out of my way. Unless I'm in the Dodge, it's a straight stick. Then, then I may do that, right? Um, now, Chevys have to go through town. Y'all know that, right? Because there's a lot more people to help push, right? It's easier to push a Chevy from light to light than it is all the way around the bypass. Could you see Greg now running beside his truck trying to push it going down the bypass, right? Sorry, Greg. We're back in the building. I had to do it. You wouldn't go that far out of your way. Think about the distance. But the Jews hated him so much. And so what was Jesus doing? He cut him to the heart because the lawyer was trying to justify himself and basically classify neighbors as the people he liked. The people that lived around him instead of understanding that the neighbor means everybody else. Matter of fact, neighbor could be classified as the one person that you are most disgusted with, the one person that turns your stomach, the one person, group of people, whatever the case may be, that one person that you absolutely can't stand, Jesus is saying on the spot, that's your neighbor. And you've got to love them. The gospel demands that we love our neighbor as ourself. So then we come back to the question, right? So how did Peter get so far out of whack? If these are the truths of the gospel that we laid out, that God is not a respecter of persons, that God demands that we love one another, oh, that's nice. Sal's got a Harley sound on her, on her phone. That's, that's, that's awesome. It would be my wife's phone going off. And, actually, it's alarm for her to take her medicine, just so you know. Now, what was I talking about? A squirrel. Thank you. Whew. Almost ran off the rails that time, didn't we? So how did Peter get so far off track? Good question, right? Because when we look at the demands of the gospel, the gospel demands that we love our neighbor as ourselves. The gospel, matter of fact, the gospel is the great equalizer because it puts all of us at the foot of the cross needing a savior equal 
I think for us to understand how Peter got there, let's understand where he went first because Peter did what all of us could do. Sometimes we all have a lapse in judgment and it could happen. And so you know what happens when you have a lapse in judgment? I go back to what Jesus told the church uh, of Ephesus that you've lost your first love to go back and do the first fruits again. And I believe this is steps that we need to take. I can't take yours for you and you can't take mine for me. But I think these steps will all work in our lives. So let's go back and see where Peter started from. Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read quickly. Let's pick up at verse 9. It says, the next day, I'm sorry, I didn't wait for the thumbs up this time. We good? All right. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens open up and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him saying, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time. He says, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken away. So Peter had this vision. So what is step one? First off, step one is having our hearts prepared and asking God to show us. Peter didn't know what else was going to come next, but, but God showed Peter a great thing this, this day. You see, up until this time, Peter, being a Jew, still would have nothing to do with the Gentiles. Now, I don't think it's that Peter hated anyone. I think it's just that Peter was raised that way. After a while of raising, being raised away and hearing something, you know, it becomes normal to you, right? I mean, sometimes I've been around people and they're like, how do they live that way? But they've been so used to living that way that, that they don't know the difference. I remember going down south to sing and play music and we stopped by these people's house that wanted us to stop by and um, they were friends of the pastor. and we, we, st we spent the afternoon with them before the service that night. And uh, sat on a porch playing music and stuff like that. And, and uh, listen, um, I would not call what they had a house. If we were to bring that house up here, you'd call it a shed. Um, and it was tiny, it was small, no air conditioning. Matter of fact, they had one bathroom and uh, all the plumbing was exposed. You could tell it was added after the fact. And we were just thankful that it had running water in it at this point. Now listen, these were beautiful people. There's nothing wrong with this. I want you to understand that. But I just remember looking around like, how do they live like this? Because I've been used to, at this point to living in a more comfortable means. These people sat out on a porch, not because they wanted to sit out on a porch, because it was cooler outside than it was inside. Peter got so used to living this way that he probably didn't notice it. And maybe... You and your mind say, well, I've never been prejudiced against anything. Well, maybe you've gotten so used to it that you don't see it. So you know what step one is for us as Christians is to just get with God and ask God if there is something in my heart. If there's something in my heart that I've neglected, if there is a people group that I have neglected, if there are things going on around me that I should be helped championing for, if there's 
if there's something in my heart that stops me from doing the right thing because I don't see it in the right way in light of the gospel, God, please show me. That's step one. Let's go down to verse 19. Man, I got to get new glasses. I don't think my arms are long enough to read anymore. You know what I'm talking You either got to do this or this. They make them numbers so small. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, by the way, he was a Greek, Gentile, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you and to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied them. And on the following day they entered Caesarea, Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped. But Peter lifting him up, saying, Stand up, I am too a man. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent me. I want you to think about what step two is. Step two is being honest about how you once felt and share that with the ones that you felt that way about. You see, it's one thing for God to show us. God, show me if there's something in my heart against another. Show me if I have some level of prejudice. Show me if I have something in my heart that, that isn't right. It's, it's great to ask that, and that's the first step. But when God does, if we truly want the gospel to go forth and we want to make a difference in this world, it's not just enough to, to hear the voice and, 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 and be shown it. It's then we have to act upon that information. And so Peter could have just walked in that house and not said anything. But you know what Peter did? Peter came clean with his, how he'd been taught. You know it's been unlawful for a Jew to enter the house of a Gentile. But God showed me that what he has made not to call common or unclean. Can you imagine how soothing and healing that must have been for Cornelius? I'm pretty sure Cornelius, having been known by the Jewish nation and being centurion, I'm sure he probably knew about the Jewish law. And maybe even when he felt led to call for Peter, maybe he was even worried that Peter wouldn't show. But could you imagine being Cornelius when Peter walked in? And first off, would not let himself be honored in that way. I'm just a man. I'm like you. But God has shown me that we're equal in his eyes. I used not to believe that way. But God has changed my heart. How powerful is that? To confess openly in front of the person that you used to hold is less than. 
to look them in the eye and say, God has changed my heart and he let me see you for the beauty that you are. And apparently she hits news. Hey, at least it was a cool ring. Can you imagine? Can you imagine how Cornelius must have felt to see Peter look him in the eye and say, you know what? I used to think you were less than. I used to think you were common and unclean. But God showed me different. And I now know that you're a brother. Her brother to me. Because God loves you just like he loves me. We're no different. That confession that Peter did before Cornelius, the healing value of confession to someone of how you used to feel versus how you feel now. Listen, I don't think you can measure it. Have you ever seen somebody hurt because they feel less than? I told you before, the church is... The church has been guilty through all, a lot of these things. The church is guilty in many ways of prejudice. I've seen it just in the last few years of traveling with Brother Josue. It hurts. By the way, it makes me mad. But because of that anger, I had to ask God to help me with it. But because I saw that that was going on, God really gave me a burden for Hispanics. Because if most of you that know who Sway know, he loves the Lord. And that there's nothing that that boy won't give you. And Christina, the same. They will give you their shirt off their backs, they will do anything they can for you, and they love the Lord. And all they want to do is reach people for Jesus. But I've seen him treated as less than. I've seen the funding for his mission work. I've seen it treated in a way that's not scriptural, that's out of step with the gospel. Then I became confronted by the Holy Spirit. Huff, what are you going to do about it? So let's go to step three. Let's go to Acts 11, starting at verse 1. It says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from the heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey, and the reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for I have uh, nothing, every, nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But then the voice answered a second time from heaven, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and was drawn up again into the heaven. And behold, at the very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them. 
making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel standing in his house, saying, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter, and he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord and how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ... Who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So Peter first had to be revealed by God and his Holy Spirit that he had an issue. Secondly, Peter took that knowledge, went where he was told to by God, and confessed it to those very people by which he used to be prejudiced against. But the third step is this. Once you realize you have an issue, you come clean with it before those people with which you had the issue. And then number three, you become a champion for those people. Become a champion for them. Share your new understanding of God's creation with others, especially those who have, may have held your old beliefs. You see, it's not just enough to understand and know and then confess to those folks, but what about all the others? All those others, Peter had influence over that council. And Peter could have kept his mouth shut. Peter could have just let them do their thing. But no, Peter stood up for all Gentiles and said that the same spirit that fell upon us has also fallen upon them. So who am I to say that they're less than? Who am I to say that they're not part of the family? Peter, in that instance, became an activist and a voice for those who had no voice. You don't think that council in Jerusalem invited Gentiles in to speak, do you? You don't think he invited them. If anybody was going to speak on behalf of the Gentile nation, it was going to have to be a Jew because Gentiles were not invited there. And listen, there are places that you and I may be invited that others may not. And if they're going to have a voice, it's going to have to be through you and I who love them as ourself enough to speak up. It's one thing to speak up when somebody does you wrong, but it's another thing to speak up when they do somebody else wrong and you use your influence not for your self-gain, but for the betterment of others. That's what God is calling us to do. God's calling us to come clean and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, to truly seek Him and ask Him if there's anything in our hearts. Then to secondly, share that with those who that you may have wronged, to share that with those that you may have once viewed differently. And then thirdly, become an activist and give them a voice that they wouldn't normally have. Use your area of influence. Use the, the, the relationships that you have gained to help someone else. By the way, all of this happened, now stay with me, all of this happened before the passage we read in the beginning. Peter seeing the vision, Peter going to Cornelius, Peter standing before the council, all happened before we see Paul chastising him. So what happened to Peter? Well, 
he fell back into an old habit. And so what is step four? Step four, it depends on which side of it you're on. If you're the one that, that is falling back into old habits, then be humble and open to a rebuke. If you happen to fall back into your old habits. You know what that means? That means if a brother or sister calls you out on it, don't hate your brother or sister. The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. The best thing we could do for each other is use our area of influence we have with each other. Use the relationships that we've garnered with each other. And when you have a brother or sister that's gone astray and not doing the right thing, if anybody should love them enough to call them out on it, it should be a brother or sister in Christ. I'm not saying judging because, listen, intent, I can't judge it. All I can see is actions. Paul didn't call Peter out and saying your heart's dirty. Peter says the way you're treating them is wrong. Do you see the difference? Judging is when you're claiming to know the intent. Inspecting fruit is when you look at the action. Right, so I'm just going to say I, I saw Brother Kevin kill a fellow down the road. That's a, that would be a fact. Intent would be whether he did it premeditated, spur of the moment, or in self-defense. That's intent. That's what they judge in the court of law. They lay out the facts and they try to judge the intent. The fact would be that he took a life. Now, Brother Kevin would never do that. Only life Brother Kevin takes is the life of poor, some poor fish. But he usually is the small one, so it's okay. It's a wonder he doesn't live at the river because he uses a Chevy to pull the boat. I'm surprised he can get home. Be brother, hey, hey, listen, if Brother Kevin's suburban ever broke down, you'd see him with the tongue of that boat trailer like this. He'd leave the suburban down there, but that boat ain't staying. <laughs> that boat's got to come home. If you're the one that's fallen, then be humble and open to a rebuke from a brother or sister. Now listen. If you're the one that's seeing it, then be willing to call it out. But when you do it, do it with grace. Do it with love. Paul did it openly. Right? He did it openly. But I'm not Paul. And I don't know that I'd be as bold as him. I think there are some cases if you see something that's out in a big public arena that you may, you may have to do that. And I believe that because they were all together, these brethren were all together, supposed to be followers of God, that I believe Paul had to do this openly. I think that you pray for the Spirit to lead you in how to do that. I think there's some things that you may have to call out publicly, and there's some things I think you just need to do in private. I struggle with that. I struggle sometimes when I see something that's wrong, and if everybody knows that I see it and I'm a pastor, do I correct it? Not correct it privately, openly. These are, these are struggles. Whatever we do, we should do it with grace. Because even our discipline to our children, the Bible says what? Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. 
What he mean by that is don't let your discipline of your child just stir up more anger. Make sure your discipline of your child actually shows them that A, you love them, but B, they're wrong. It's hard to do those two together, by the way. Very, listen, if there's one difficult thing to do, that's it. Because when your child blatantly does something against what you told them to do, that's hard to stomach, especially for us men. Let's be honest, guys. Right? How dare you openly try to usurp your authority over mine? But the Bible tells us that when we do that rebuke, we need to do it. It says for us to not withhold the rod of corrections, but we must do it seasoned with grace, not provoking them to wrath. So Paul openly rebuked them because of their conduct. He said nothing about their heart. Paul was not the judge of their heart, but their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Paul challenged Peter with a question. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, then how can you force them to do it? Matter of fact, if you go on and read Acts 11, you will find out that the Jews then wanted the Gentiles to have to undergo circumcision. And Paul and Peter spoke up for them. Tell them that that shouldn't be. I can tell you that if, uh, that if I fall into one of those categories where I'm the, the one who's disenfranchised and treated wrongly, wouldn't it be a comfort to know that someone's in your corner? That someone sees and acknowledges the fact that things have been done wrong? And to know that someone loves them? Matter of fact, I think just that alone would create a lot of healing. Just acknowledging, you know what, that we've, it's not that I, I called you names. It's not that I did anything to you. I didn't try to physically harm you. I didn't try to do those things. But you know what I did do? I sat by why others did. I sat by worrying about my own self and not you. I tried to get all the money I could. I tried to get all the, the programs that I could and didn't worry about the fact that you were being treated different. Matter of fact, then when you had to come up with your own programs, I talked about you about them like you're the problem. Instead of realizing that if somebody needs to step up and do something. I'm thankful for our rich free will Baptist history. My sons are fifth generation. Free will Baptist, that and a $10 will get you a happy meal with a large Diet Coke. Right? But what I am thankful for is there was a, a pastor by the name of Nathaniel Brackett that lived in Harpers Ferry over 100 years ago. And Nathaniel Brackett loved the Lord. And he also loved the African-American people. And he was the founder of Storer College. I'm thankful that that's in our heritage. I am. I'm proud of that. The great-great-grandson, I think it's the great-great-grandson, has been here in this church. Matter of fact, when we had the state meeting here years ago, I think in 2012, he led uh, tours of Harpers Ferry and of Storer College telling the story of his family. It was really cool, except for I didn't get to go because I was here doing all the other stuff. And uh, I'm thankful for that. But then again, I, I travel with Brother Josue and see other areas that we lack in. 
So while the, while the narrative today may be a certain group of people, to be honest with you, I've been searching my heart about all groups of people. All different types. Lord, where, where, is it that, where, where is it that I look at something and I see less than? Because it happens to me like it happens to you. And I want you to promise me that if you see that my conduct is not in step with the gospel, that you'll love me enough to tell me. And I promise you that I'll do the same for you. So this, this, this process that Peter went through, this process of, of being shown, this process of open confession, this process of then becoming a voice for them, that's all great, but if we're not careful, we'll fall asleep at the wheel and we'll doze off. And that's what Peter did. Peter just had a lack in judgment. He dozed off a little. And next thing you know, he's starting to fall back into old habits. By the way, we know that through the rest of the writings of the letters that Peter and Paul were not mad at each other. Through, or there, we see no anger toward each other on this because they mention each other in later writings. So they didn't part brothers. Uh, you know, they didn't part ways. I believe that Peter listened. Because when I see the writings of letters of Peter, which were after this, I see a very humble Peter. I see a guy who's very humble, a guy whose heart is set upon pleasing God, no matter how much it cost him. Peter got it right. It just was a process. Where are you at in your process? First off, you've got to be open to hear the message. You've got to be open when God speaks to your heart. Or will you be honest about where you're at? When you watch the TV, what makes you more angry? A people group done wrong? Or the looting and rioting? Which one hits your heart first? That's a good question. I'm not into looting and rioting, I can tell you that. But there's a greater thing here. Now, when there's something like this that happens, there's always going to be this group of people who's going to take it and try to make it for self-gain, and I believe that's exactly what the rioting and looting is all about. They don't care one iota about anyone else. They just want to get what they can. So let's call that what it is. Ignorance, thugs, you can call whatever you want. Call it what it is. But there is something greater here that we need to look at. You see, I... I've been on a journey. You've heard me mention a couple of these things. Uh, it's been almost two years ago, I think, uh, that I read a book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. I read a portion out of that. It's a very difficult thing to read. I'm not going to read it today. I, I just don't think this is the setting, but we read it Wednesday night in a smaller group, uh, what was written by the author. And what really got the author, though, wasn't, it wasn't just that some people treated a people a different way because of the color of their skin. But it was more so even about those who just didn't say anything. Now you realize that when slavery was intact, that there were churches, right, that took the gospel and twisted it into a way that made slavery okay. Can you see how they could do that? Well, let me ask you this. How would you feel if you were on the other end of that? How would you feel when you're on the other end where you see the gospel and what few of them could read? Saw that God loved them. The few of them that could read, that could get a hold of the Bible, could actually see that God loved them. 
They could see the story that we just went over in Peter. They could read that for themselves and still here's our other people saying that they love God, but yet treating them the way they were treating them. How can you reconcile those two things? So how would you feel if you were on the other end of that? That's what we got to ask ourselves. The church sat idly by and let it happen. Then we ended slavery and then we entered the era the Jim Crow era, the area of segregation that in some places didn't end even until the 70s. Then after that, we just see how people have been, people have taken them and using the plight against them for political gain, and that's what we're seeing even yet today. I can't give them the money that they've lost. I can't give them any of that, but here's what I can do. I can do what Peter did. I can allow God to change my heart, and he has. Not only was uh, Cross and Lynch Tree a good book, but Bloodlines written by Dr. John Piper is also a very good book. Just kind of helps us understand the history and where the church has failed to rise up. I can be honest about who I am. I can share that with others. And then I can be a voice for them when they have the voice. If, I give, if I'm given opportunity to speak up for someone, I need to speak up. And then if I fall, I can be humble enough to admit it and ask God to forgive me for it. This is the world we live in today. What is the church going to do? The gospel leaves us no room to do anything other than love and speak up. I hope that's what you'll do. I struggle as a pastor. I've struggled with some other pastors through this, talking about these things. And they're like, well, I don't really, you know, I haven't really said anything because I don't want to offend anybody because I got people in my church on both sides of the aisle. Listen, there's only one aisle. You know that, right? There's only one thing I can get behind, and that is the truth of the gospel. Everything else ain't worth following, folks. The truth of the gospel is what we need to be behind, not one party or another. It's the truth of the gospel. And the gospel leaves us no room to treat anybody any different for any reason, right? No reason. I can think back of Jesus saying, feed the poor, clothe the naked. Let the imprisoned know you love them. And make no distinction for any man for any reason regardless of what separates them in lifestyle or whatever, we love them. Now listen, if the gospel cuts them to the heart, let it be the gospel. Not me. Not you. Let's go love. I'm ready to fill up a super soaker with love and just go out and douse everybody we can find. Amen? How about that for an illustration to go home on? Fill your super soaker up with love and just go out here and pump that thing until you can't pump it no more. And let God do the rest. Stand to your feet.